today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Pour Jesus into them as a child and let them grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see genuine faith? Train them up in the faith. If you know Christ, your responsibility, whether your children are adults or whether they are gone or whether you have no children, Your responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ, our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ is to not only to know Christ, but to make him known to others and in particularly our children. If we want to see genuine faith in our children, we must train them up with genuine faith. In today's message from Pastor David, we are taught the importance of training our children up in the faith. We are to pour Jesus into them, whether they are ours or not. Children are important to Jesus, and they need to be important to us. Our responsibility as Christians is to know Jesus Christ and make Him known to others. What child could you encourage to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior this week? Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, A Genuine Faith. Roman historians have shared with us again just how how devastating, how deplorable this situation was that Paul finds himself. A fellow by the name of Gaius Crispus, he writes, and we kind of get an understanding of the conditions of the Tullianum. He says, there is a place called the Tullianum, about 12 feet below the surface of the ground. It's enclosed on all sides by walls, and above it is a chamber with a vaulted roof of stone. Neglect, darkness, and stench make it hideous and fearsome to behold. Another writer of the time, another Roman, Calpurnus Flacius, he writes these words, the whip lashes crack, food is delivered in the foul hands of the executioner to those who then refuse to eat it. The hard-hearted doorkeeper sits by, a man whose eyes would remain dry even when his mother weeps. Filth roughens their bodies as chains grip their hands tightly. I share all this with you in order that you and I might get a better understanding of the situation that Paul finds himself in here. That you and I might understand the the greatness of the suffering that, that was there. Any other man, I believe, would be in absolute utter despair, drowning in hopelessness. And yet, for Paul, there was a difference. 
Oh, we, we see the whole tenure of, the, of, his, of his mindset as we read this short book. We know that emotionally, spiritually, there's a lot of things going on. But you need to understand, too, that Paul had learned years ago, even in the deepest of dungeons, even in the darkest of nights, he understood that his God was with him. That's why he could write to the Philippians in chapter 4, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. It doesn't mean you like it. That doesn't mean you're pleased with the situation, but it's the understanding that I know that God is still in charge. It's the understanding that I know that in the midst of all the things that are going on in my life right now, as as horrible as it might be, as difficult as it might be, I still stand firm on the foundation that my God is in charge of all of his creation, and he is in charge of my life, and he is not ignorant of where I am or what I'm going through. Beloved, that's the only way that you and I could survive a situation like this or a situation that perhaps you're going through in your life or within your family. That's why in the darkness, in the desolation of that horrid place, Paul's able to pray and his prayers move out from his own needs to the situation and the needs of men like Timothy. And he quickly encourages Timothy that his prayers are always with him. How much he desired to have the company of that young friend. He writes here in 2 Timothy verse three, he says, without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. Guys, I am always amazed. I'm always humbled whenever I speak to someone who's going through a deplorable situation, whether that's relationships, whether that's finances, whether that's health, whatever the situation, and you know that they're battling great demons within their own life, the attack of the enemy upon them, and their concern isn't so much about them, but they'll come and they'll say, tell me, how is so-and-so doing? How's the situation with brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Hey, you know what? As I've been laid up at home, I've been praying for this one or that one. Guys, that's a heart that's bigger than their own selves. That's a heart that opens up and spreads out and reaches. That's the heart of God that works within people's lives, that move beyond their own battles and pray and are concerned for others that they know of. You can clearly see the heart of God in those kinds of individuals. They step out of their own sufferings and they pray for the needs of others and they seek to encourage others who might be in a situation that's many times easier than their own, but yet they have a heart for what they're going through. And it's obvious that they're comforted in the midst of their own troubles with the comfort that only God can bring. The midst of their suffering They care for others because in the midst of their suffering, they had comfort in the knowledge that God is still working even through this battle that's in their lives. They take to heart the words that Paul writes again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter one. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation that we might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
It's God in the midst of my trials, in the midst of my troubles, in the midst of the persecution, uh, the battles, the sicknesses, the diseases, the relationships, the financial downfalls that I have. It's God that brings me comfort, not my circumstances. And he brings me comfort in this in order that I then might be able to speak into the lives of others who are going through similar situations. And sometimes we wonder why we're going through the trials that we're going through, don't we? Amen? Or is it just me? I don't know. Sometimes we, we wonder, why, why is this going on? I don't understand. Paul gives us the reasoning right here. In order that the God who comforts us in the midst of our trials might allow us to bring comfort to others who are going through similar trials, similar situations, so we can get out of ourselves and minister to others. In the midst of the darkness of that prison cell, in the midst of that dungeon, Paul is bombarding heaven on behalf of Timothy and probably a host of others. He knows full well the battle that's coming against the church, the persecution which we spoke about last week. He knows that the persecution and the attack of the enemy is coming against the church, coming against her message, and coming against her messengers. And so Paul, there in his own situation, lifts his eyes toward heaven and cries out to God to touch the hearts and lives of those that he knows are going through these battles. He desired to see Timothy one more time before that executioner's sword would take his own life. And so he knew that in seeing Timothy that he himself would be, he'd be encouraged. He'd be encouraged to see this young man's faith, to see this young man's perseverance, his work in the ministry. He understood that. He knew that his time was short. And so near the end of this book of 2 Timothy, he writes in chapter four, oh, be diligent to come to me quickly. He wants to see him, but he knows he didn't have much time. Paul expected to see Timothy and in Timothy's life to be able to see a growing consistency, to be able to see in Timothy's life a growing boldness, to be able to see a depth of faith in this young man's life because Paul knew he wasn't going to be here for long. And men like Timothy would carry on the work of the gospel within the church and within the world that was yet to be reached for Christ. He says in verse 4, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, that I am persuaded also is in you. Timothy's faith, you you understand, Timothy's faith had been founded, had been birthed at the feet of his mother and of his grandmother. These two women pouring into that young man's life, Lois, his grandmother, Eunice, his mother, again, they had impacted him as a young man by their own personal lives, as well as their message of the hope that Jesus is the true Messiah of Israel. Now, Timothy's father isn't listed here, and Luke tells us in Acts chapter 6 that, that he was a Greek, and so we, we don't have much else about him. So again, we, we believe that he probably was not a believer, and he was probably out of the scene, perhaps even early on in Timothy's life. We just don't know very much about him. So we do know that Timothy's spiritual upbringing was that what came from his mother and his grandmother, mom's grandmoms, take hope. You do have influence in those children's lives. But let it be more than just words. Let it be the reality of your life before them. 
It made such a difference in Timothy's life. We read also in Acts, as Luke writes, that again, by the time that Paul met Timothy, he was already a a believer. He was already a disciple. In Acts chapter 16, we read that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And then he came to travel with Paul through some of Paul's missionary journeys. Timothy's life was laid out wide open for inspection. And I don't believe that you traveled much with the apostle Paul without him knowing where your life was in Jesus. I don't think you could shine on to him when you're 24-7 walking along the road, going through all that they went through. I think the reality of your faith is made wide open at that point. And that's why Paul could say, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. The impact of the word of God in a young child's heart being lived out by believing parents or grandparents or guardians. Guys, we cannot emphasize the importance of that too much. When Timothy came to Christ, we find out here in chapter 3, verse 15, that he was a young child. The influence of this mother, this grandmother, had made such a difference. And as he grew, his faith grew with him. He grew in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. I want to take a moment here to bring your attention to the importance of bringing the gospel to children. We come in as adults, many of us, our children are already grown. We feel that, man, we've done our job, but maybe there's grandchildren that still yet need to be touched. But even beyond that, the children within this fellowship that need to be encouraged by you, and you might say, well, I'm not their parent, I'm not their guardian, I'm not their grandparent, then what a greater impact you might have on them by showing your care and concern. The statistics scream out the truth of the importance of bringing the gospel message to children. If we're ever going to reach this next generation for Christ, we've got to reach them at a young age. Listen to the statistics. Probably the most convincing reason why we need to be consistent in bringing the gospel to our children and grandchildren comes from research that's done by the Barna Group. The probability of people accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior for a lifetime relationship, according to research by George Barna and the Barna Institute of over a thousand adults, puts the probability at this. 32% of children between 5 and 13 will receive Christ if the message is brought to them. 32% who are presented with the gospel will receive Christ. Beloved, that's a one and third chance of being able to share Christ with a young life and that young life coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. But what happens as they get older? This was for five through 13-year-olds. What happens when they reach 14 through 18? Older, young teenagers now, now in in high school, now getting ready to move on to college. What What is the impact of the gospel message going to them? How many would receive Christ? What's the average that we find? From 32%, nearly a third as a young child, it drops down to 4%. 4%. One in 20. Where is the most appropriate time to share the hope of the gospel with our children? Guys, it's while they are young, five to 13 years of age. 
Why do we place so much emphasis on our Wednesday night Awana's program? Why do we desire men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who desire God working in their own lives to be teachers of our children in Sunday school is in order that the truth of your life might be demonstrated to these children to again compare with or to come alongside of and encourage the truth, hopefully that they're hearing from their parents or their guardians of the reality of faith in Christ. If we do not do the children's ministry well, we're missing it. We're missing it drastically. That's why it is so important to have men and women who love God, who love children, and who are willing to give of themselves in situations like our Sunday school, like our Awanas. But even more important than that are the lives of parents, grandparents, guardians, and relatives living out their life before these children. If we're ever going to reach them in a significant way, we reach them in those Sunday school ages. One of the other statistics that Barna brings out, this whole idea of faith and and, and discipleship, is that the moral development, the, the moral standard that a child has for his life as he moves on into adulthood, the moral development of a child is complete by the age of nine. We have organizations like Youth Haven that are touching the hearts and lives of children because they understand the need, the significance of touching children with the hope of the gospel at that age. We have organizations like Child Evangelism Fellowship. Their focus is to bring the gospel to children. Why? Because the children need to hear the gospel. That's the most open time, the most opportune time to be able to bring the gospel to them. George Barna states that the research is very clear. If Jesus is not already a part of their lives by the time they leave junior high school, the chances of them accepting him as their Lord and Savior is very slim. It drops down to an overall of about 6% people who have not received Christ before junior high, 6%. With children, it is just the opposite. Because of the challenges and insecurities that they themselves face in life, they're very open to being a part of a community of like-minded people who grow together. Children have a tremendous influence within their families and on the choices they make in all areas of life. The greatest evangelical window currently available is among young children. Another man R.S. Lee writes in his book, You're Growing Children and Religion, says the first seven years of life constitute the period for laying the foundations of religion. This is the most important period in the whole of a person's life in determining their later religious attitudes. All too often, we think that, well, Maybe we need to wait till they get older. They can make their own decision for Christ. I've heard that in the past. People say, well, no, I I don't bring my children to Sunday school. I don't force them to go to church because I want them to make their own decision. How uh, absolutely idiotic that is. That's like saying, well, I'm not gonna teach my child not to play in the street. I want them to get old enough to where they understand that themselves. David Shibley, writing for Child Evangelism Fellowship Newsletter, 
He writes, all too often, it seems Christians are the only ones who believe they should wait to influence children's minds. Advertisers don't wait. Child abusers don't wait. Neither do humanist educators. False religions don't wait. The cults don't wait. And neither does Satan. That's why the word of God tells us in Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That's why Paul tells the church of Ephesus and all the believers now through the word of God, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. And then, of course, the words of Jesus himself in Matthew, Mark, and Luke saying the same. Jesus declaring, let the little children come unto me. Do not forbid them, for if such is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to see a genuine faith in people's lives? Then begin with them when they're children. Do you want to see a man or a woman who's able to stand against the attack of the enemy within their life when the forces of hell come marching against them? You want to see somebody who's able to stand? Pour Jesus into them as a child and let them grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to see genuine faith? Train them up in the faith. If you know Christ, your responsibility, whether your children are adults or whether they are gone or whether you have no children, your responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ, our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ is to not only to know Christ, but to make him known to others and in particularly our children. I often joke around about young children. Don't tell them I said this to them, but uh, being rugrats, okay? Ankle biters and a host of other names. But the fact is they are precious in the sight of God. They need to be precious in our sight. You and I need to be encouragers of these children that are in Sunday school, these children that are part of our fellowship, the children that you might see in any walk of life. Be encouragers of them for the cause of Christ. Have you made a confession of faith? Have you surrendered your life into his hands? You see, Jesus, again, speaking about children, he says, surely I say to you, unless you're converted and become like little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Timothy came to Christ as a young man. There was a host of others, no doubt, but we have the history of Timothy here. And the impact of Timothy's life, not only as an encouragement for Paul, but on the church of Ephesus and on believers during that time, even to the point now, we can look at a man like Timothy and say, God is using him mightily. Oh, that God would do that with our children. Church, wouldn't it be wonderful if within 10, 12, 15 years from now, we look and A new pastor starting a new church is one of our youth that have been raised up in the Lord here in our Sunday schools. Wouldn't it be awesome if in a workplace situation at a a cubicle, at a desk, wherever it might be, the one within that company that people come to because there's issues in their life is a young woman or a young man who's grown in knowledge of Christ through our Sunday school, through our Awanas program, your children, our children together. I want to see that. 
I want to see men and women working in the workplace who are on fire for the Lord Jesus because they've been blessed, they've been poured into, they've been encouraged, they've been strengthened in the things of the Lord through a godly parents, grandparents, and a congregation of people who have their interest in mind. But you know what? You can't have their interest in mind for the things of God if you don't know Him yourself. My hope and prayer is that all of you this morning know Jesus in the fullness of who He is. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The Apostle Paul exhorts us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, to share God's word in season and out of season. We need to be ready to share the gospel message wherever we go with whomever we encounter. Jesus' message is for everyone and is needed by all. If you've been changed by Jesus, tell the world. We hope today's message on the open word has kindled a fire in your spirit to share Jesus. If you'd like to listen again, find this message and many others online at theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast, gaining access to messages straight from God's word as soon as we post them. Before our time with you is up today, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. You'll also be able to get more information by calling 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Thanks again for tuning in today to The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 2 Timothy right here on The Open Word. Make us more.